Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Orangecrest Community Church. My name is Josh Del Rosa, and I'm the senior pastor here of OCC. Uh, these past two weeks, we've been talking about Jesus's most famous sermon in the Bible. It's found in the book of Matthew, begins in chapter 5 through 7. But we've been zeroing in on a specific section where he talks about attitudes that bring blessing into our homes. And so we've been in a series of messages called Bless This Home. And Jesus is laying out and describing life in God's kingdom where God rules in the hearts of men and, and of women. And, and so, essentially, where people let God reign, you find blessing. And so Jesus, he climbs up upon a mountainside and he, he sits down in a, in a crowd, a multitude of people uh, who are following and listening, and he begins to teach the crowds. And he starts laying out, attitudes and character which really run polar opposite to our native heart tendencies and he just is drilling and focusing in on the heart because who you are on the inside is really tied to and always shows up on the outside in our words in our actions and when he rules your heart then jesus begins to change everything about the way that you handle life the way that you handle relationships and so let's just read through the verses that we've covered so far, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 9. And I want to start there because it's going to, it's going to lead us towards something. It's ultimately leading to some uh, very, it sort of takes a strange turn here as we look at this morning's passage. So uh, let's look at Matthew 5, 3 through 9. It reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is his message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now I think a natural question arrives after we see this list, and really the question is this. It's what will applying these attitudes lead to in my life? Where is this going to take my life? And I want to just jump to the answer to that question. Living this way, the way that Jesus prescribed, is going to lead to three outcomes. First, blessing. Second, persecution. And third, impact. And I want to look at each of these. So first, let's look at this idea of blessing. If you live these attitudes out, you're going to experience blessing. That's what he's been saying in this whole uh, sermon so far, he begins over and over saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, meaning for those who do these things, they're blessed. Blessed means to be highly favored or to experience happiness or goodness that comes from God and it comes into our life as a result of living out God's kingdom ways. And so we spend a lot of time on this idea of what does it mean to be blessed by God and, and to experience his favor. And so you can check out week one of this series. You can grab that from our website and, and watch that for a more full explanation. But that's the first thing you can expect is God's blessing on your life. But then also there's persecution. What I mean is the world will not always be accepting of you and of your beliefs if you choose to follow Jesus as your Lord, as the boss of your life. And, and here's the challenge. In, in our culture today, there's a gross misunderstanding of what a Christian is or really should be and there's confusing messages really all over the place the world around us is pretty confused about what a christian even is they try to define it culturally really hard to come up with a good cultural definition 
for example, when I was a teenager, I, I remember this guy sort of representing Christians as a, as a goofy stereotype. This is, you might know him as Ned Flanders. He's the character in The Simpsons, but you really couldn't take this guy all that seriously. And so maybe some people formed the wrong conclusion about Christians from Ned Flanders. Or nowadays, there's, there's more confusion. Like this, we see signs like this, which sort of creates a polarizing effect that can just add to the confusion of what does it really mean to be a Christian. Or, or this picture. Not sure what this guy is doing. He, it looks like he's sort of beating a drum and he's, he's got a Bible in hand and he's doing some sort of uh, open-air message or preaching. And so with all of these different messages, I understand why there's so much confusion in our culture regarding Christianity. But Jesus, when he's laying this out, he, he wants us to represent God's kingdom in this world. He actually calls us to be living pictures to the world. People who would describe for the world through our lives, uh, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who, those who are meek, which means uh, power but under control, uh, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, those who are merciful, uh, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. He wants us to be living pictures of those things to the world. But I want you to know this. If you live these out, not everyone will accept your life or your message. You should actually expect to be misunderstood and even undervalued in this world. And so Jesus, uh, he shifts the gears here and he turns the corner on, a, on the message or on the passage. Look at Jesus' final beatitude. Here's the final one, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right here is a strange uh, sort of paradox. There's blessing for those who are persecuted. It seems upside down. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, so because of Jesus. Then he says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution? What, what exactly is that? I want to give you first an English definition, then we'll, let's look at the, the New Testament's uh, understanding of persecution. So in English, here's Merriam-Webster's uh, definition. It's to harass or to punish in a manner designed to injure, to grieve, or afflict. Or a second definition is to cause to suffer because of belief. Now the, you, the word that's used here in, in the Greek New Testament is, is the Greek word dioko. And it, it has the basic meaning of, of chasing or driving someone away or pursuing someone. And it's really from this idea of chasing someone out of town or driving them back, driving them away. It's where we have really developed the connotation of, of physical persecution in the church or of the church, of harassment of Christians, of abuse of Christians, and other unjust treatments. Now, if you were to read through the, the book of Acts in the New Testament, it's, it's the history of the Christian church. So if you're a history person, you can read through the development of how did... Christianity spread to what it's become today. This movement formed with a small group of people and it just started exploding in the first century. But you read about the leaders of the Christian church, Peter, John, 
uh, Paul. These were all people who endured persecution. They faced um, being uh, being yelled at, being uh, being beaten, uh, being chased out of town. You can read about Paul. A few in a few cases, he was chased out of town, not just once. He was also beaten for preaching his message. He was threatened. He was he was warned, and, and he was insulted, and on and on. And you can read about the mistreatment of Paul and some of those first century leaders. When I was uh, 20 years old, I was in Russia and I was on a mission trip, and along with a team of around 10 people, uh, we were singing outdoors. Uh, we were. Uh, we had a large crowd of people. We had balloon animals. Uh, two of us had guitars, and we were singing, and we were playing games with families. And so we had a crowd of people formed around us. And, and uh, myself and, and another guy, as we were playing our guitars, we noticed there was a couple of really large men that were standing in the distance and began to approach us uh, to see what we were doing. And there was a policeman around. There was actually two policemen around, and they were they were nearby as well and and i just remember watching all these things unfolding i'm 20 years old and at a certain point uh the big men they were dressed in suits they started approaching us and the police turned and they walked away and these men started yelling at us and they started shouting at us and they started pointing to leave and and then we it, it all happened really quickly so you know i started putting my guitar away and these guys started shoving us and one of the guys was uh, hitting us in the back, and he was like, sort of like open-handed slapping us. He wasn't saying, good job. You know, he was saying, get out of here. And I was trying to protect my guitar, and me and this other guy, my friend's name was Paul, we were just quickly trying to, and I was telling the people that w- were with me to just go ahead and get out of here. And so, anyway, we, we got the point, and we left. They ran us out of this uh, open-air uh, park, and uh, I wasn't hurt. Uh, I didn't get any scars. I didn't. I don't have any bruises. I didn't have any bruises, uh, but I was sure rattled, and, and it shook up our whole team. Everyone was. It was. It was our first night in Russia, and it was a frightening experience. And to this day, I'm still not quite sure what that was. It was pretty intimidating, uh, but it reminded us of of the New Testament and and the Christians who were being chased out of town, and. I want to read you a quote from a pastor. Take a look. The cost of discipleship is billed to believers in many different ways, meaning we don't all experience the same things when it comes to persecution. For example, a Christian stonemason in Ephesus in Paul's day might have been asked to help build a pagan temple or shrine. Because he could not do that in good conscience, his faith would cost him the work and possibly his job and career. So in the first century, there's just certain jobs a Christian couldn't do with a clear conscience. And look at the quote again. A believer today might be expected to hedge on the quality of his work in order to increase company profits. To follow his conscience in obedience to the Lord could also cost his job or at least a promotion. Or a Christian housewife who refuses to listen to gossip or to laugh at the crude jokes of her neighbors may find herself ostracized. Some costs will be known in advance and some will surprise us. Some costs will be great, and some will be slight. But by the Lord's and the apostles' repeated promises, faithfulness always has a cost, which true Christians are willing to pay. So really what you find out is 
there's a range. There's, there's a spectrum when it comes to persecution. Some of you, you, you may have felt rejected by your friends or by your family when, it, when you chose to embrace Christianity, when you chose to follow Christ as the Lord of your life. If you've been rejected or, or made fun of or maybe poked at for your faith, that, that actually is a form of, of persecution, of Christian persecution. Or maybe you've been left out of, of social gatherings because of your faith. You used to hang out with some people, and then as soon as you chose to follow Christ, you didn't get invited anymore because uh, you're maybe not accepted in the same circles as you were. Again, that's, that's a form of, of rejection, of persecution. And Jesus actually says, with whatever persecution you walk through, there's actually a double blessing. With all these other things that he's laying out, blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who mourn. For this one, he actually describes two blessings. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' righteousness's sake. Or later, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And he goes on and on. So he's talking about the blessing here and now. But also, he, he describes this. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So there's two blessings. There's a blessing here and now which we don't always know what that favor and the goodness of God is. We can't always connect the dots, but, but as you walk through persecution of any form, you, you experience God's blessing on your life here. But greater is the reward in heaven. And even one of my staff members, uh, recently he was doing some surveying online on Facebook to uh, just ask some questions of spiritual nature, and he endured some persecution and some mistreatment from the Facebook community. And again, it's another form of persecution. But you know what? It can get even more extreme. You can actually read about the persecuted church on, on your own. A really good, reliable source is this website right here. It's open door, opendoorsusa.org. It's a community of Christians who've come together to really support the persecuted Christians in more than 60 countries uh, it's a ministry. It was launched by a man named Brother Andrew. Who, a lot of people know him because he was known for writing a book, The God Smuggler. And it, it documents his efforts to smuggle Bibles into hostile regions where Christianity is illegal. And, and, but here's some stats from Open Doors Ministry. In just the last year, check these out, there have been over 260 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. That's a lot of people. And then just 2,983 Christians killed for, for their faith. 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. This is, again, this is, these are recent stats from the year. And then 3,711 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And, and now, how should we look at this issue of persecution? Well, one thing is really clear from the, from the Scripture. Christ's followers should expect to experience some forms of persecution in their lifetime. I want, I want you to read from 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what Peter wrote to the church who was suffering in the first century. It reads, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief 
or an evildoer or as a meddler. Basically, he's saying sometimes people suffer from lawless acts. People serve time. They walk through the consequences. Peter's saying to Christians, hey, don't stir up trouble. Don't waste your life on lawless acts and then suffer for those acts. But, verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So how you suffer actually matters. We should expect we should expect it here and now in different forms. And then also we should endure it for the sake of Christ and his glory. Right now in our state, uh, California, churches have been deemed non-essential in, in this whole pandemic. Churches have had to wait much longer than stores and, and pharmacies and restaurants to reopen and, and just to get back to life uh, as usual. And I know right now this is actually playing out in court right now. Even the just this past week, the U.S. Department of Justice has warned our governor to reopen our churches. And so I anticipate maybe this will speed up the process for churches to be able to gather in some form. Again, I'm not sure how that's going to lay out. It'll probably start with smaller gatherings and grow to what it was. There'll probably be, uh, there may be restrictions as far as what it will look like. But frankly, I'm not surprised. Jesus told us it would be this way. We should not uh, expect that our message will be accepted. In fact, we should expect to be misunderstood, to be mistreated. Uh, but again, the wrestling is going on, and we, we should ask the question, what do I do with that? Here in America, thankfully, you know, since our since our founding as a nation, you know, you, you've been given the rights to speak up. You can actually raise your voice to politicians. Uh, the scripture gives a lot of guidance on how to do that. You should do so respectfully. You should do it uh, in a way that honors our leaders of the government, uh, honors them for their authority or for the the role that they play and respect them for their, the position that they hold. Uh, so I, I would really just say, think about how you, how you voice your, uh, your opposition right now. Uh, but you, you can write to the governor. You can write to government leaders. You can, you, can, uh, you can communicate your concerns right now. And, but for those in, in different countries, uh, for those in the persecuted church, Again, if you go to opendoorsusa.org, you can find a world watch list. Uh, and they have countries listed in, in high persecution, very high persecution regions, and then extreme persecution regions. In fact, there are 11 countries named in the extreme persecution status where they are the most dangerous places right now to live on the planet if you're a Christian. And those people in those places don't have the rights and the freedoms that we've enjoyed here in our country. And those people, they've got to find ways to practice their faith underground in secret. And, and we should take the time as Christians to pray for those brothers and sisters and, and those Christian missionaries who are working really hard to get the gospel in creative ways uh, to those people. And you know what? God, he is faithful. Even to those people in those extreme cases. And this blessing that Jesus is describing in this reward, it's theirs. And it's ours as we endure uh, any form of persecution, it's ours as we endure. But don't forget, God's kingdom, his kingdom ways, they're not what the world is lining up to buy. Being meek, being poor in spirit, being peacemakers, th- those aren't the attitudes of this world. And so Jesus says, look, these are going to lead to hostility. They're going to lead to insult in your life. And in fact, Jesus, our king, he endured horrible mistreatment. 
And he could do that because he could see the bigger picture. And he calls us, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he calls us to live his kingdom ways here. But in this life, he says, don't lose heart. Don't lose focus. Don't lose sight of your trusting God, just like Jesus did. Look at 1 Peter 2. It reads, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He, he entrusted himself to the Father. And Jesus calls us, or Peter actually calls us to follow in Jesus' footsteps because Jesus left us an example. So all along the way of this life, we'll have to trust God just as Jesus trusted the Father's plan, trusting that God the Father is sovereign, meaning he's in complete control. We can do the same thing. We can live out these kingdom ways, even when it feels like we're, we're living in a foreign land, like a fish that's just totally out of water. And so living out these attitudes, it brings a few things. Blessing, but also persecution. But there's one more thing I want to highlight is it brings impact. There's impact. God is at work through your life. He's at work through our homes, through our families. And God can make a huge impact in your home and then also really through your home. So beyond your home. First, talk about in your home. As you live out God's kingdom ways, as you practice these attitudes, these character qualities, you're helping to shape the perspective and the values of those people in your home. They're learning from, from, from our examples, our emotions, our reactions, and, and even our struggles. The good news about that is you and I, we don't have to be perfect. You're, you're going to mess up. I, I can't... I mean, there's so many times when I've set the wrong example for my kids and I've had to clear it up in front of them. One, a funny memory I have is is losing my temper at Disneyland, of all the places to lose your temper. I was angry because it was taking a really long time to get into the parking structure. We were waiting a long time in this long, long line. And this lady uh, comes up beside us right before the toll booth. We were almost next in line, and she puts her blinker on to, to cut in. And the lane she was in was totally closed. So she you know, was able to just go all the way to the front, and I got really chapped. And I, I motioned to let her in, but I did it in an angry way. <laughs> and and I was talking. She couldn't hear me because my windows are up. But I'm just like, oh, you're Mrs. Important, and you're and I'm making a big scene. And, and anyway, she takes a long time at the toll booth. And then she, and I'm just wondering, it doesn't take that long to pay. Just hurry up and pay. You've already cut in front of everybody. And anyway, then her door opens, and I throw my hands up, and I'm like, what now? When she comes to me, and, and I roll my window down, and I'm frustrated, and she says, I am so sorry. I had no idea that lane was closed. Thank you so much for letting me in. I, I just want to let you know I paid for your ticket to get into the parking structure. And uh, I was embarrassed and humiliated in front of my family. I felt really small because of how I lost my temper. You know, blessed are the merciful. <laughs> I wasn't being merciful. I was being, I wanted justice right then and there. She needs to wait like everyone else. Well, I set a bad example and I, I said, you know, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm a pass holder. You know, you should get a refund now because I, I, I'm an annual pass holder. And uh, <laughs> really humbling, really embarrassing. Well, what I did was I blew it in front of my kids. And I needed to then clear it up in front of them. You know, the, the reality is <laughs> with that shining parent moment, 
you know, if you're a parent, you, you don't have to be perfect. God works despite your shortcomings and my shortcomings. He's at work in your home. And so you are helping parents. You're helping your kids to learn to trust God. They're learning a lot through, through your life, through your example. Right now is a critical time for shaping the reflex of trust and obey with all that's going on. That's, that's shaping in your children a response. Uh, but God is at work. He's at work. Even despite my bad example at points, God is still at work. Beyond your home, though, here's a question. How will Jesus' kingdom spread throughout the entire world? When you, when you want to spread a message or a product, you build a marketing plan. Companies spend billions of dollars. In fact, U.S. companies in 2019 led the pack, spent $197 billion in marketing. China spent much less than half, and then other countries lagged far behind. But in contrast, the spread of Jesus' kingdom is not about marketing. It's tied to his followers. Christ's followers are Jesus' plan for spreading his kingdom. We're it. Those of us who follow him, we're the marketing plan. We, we advertise our church online and, and different social media forums, and we'll pay money so people know who we are, where we meet, how to find us. But honestly, it's the people in the church who are going to enhance and really explain Jesus' message. And so, uh, as we wrap up, look at the end of this passage, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Jesus wants his followers to be salt and light. As you live these things out, you walk through all of these things, here's what people see. Matthew 5, 13 through 15. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on its stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He talks about two metaphors. You are the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Basically, think about what those things do. Salt, what does salt do? It makes people thirsty. It spices things up. It makes it makes foods... You know, natural flavors just uh, really come out. It draws flavors out, makes things taste better. It's also, salt is also a preservative. And so what Jesus is saying is that his followers should live a life that makes people thirst for the truth about him. We can be those types of people who spice up conversations in a way that makes people sort of lean in and want to hear more about where did that come from? Who did that come from? Or we can also live in a way that slows down the decay of our culture. Just like salt has a preserving function, we can live that way as well. As we live out these kingdom ways, we can help preserve this culture. Jesus also commands us to be light. What does light do? Light illuminates. It, it draws people toward it like the searchlights that draw people to an event. We're called to do that. We're called to live lives that help people see the truth about Jesus and be drawn to want to follow him. We're called to shine our light into very dark places so people can find him. And this has actually been happening right now through this coronavirus pandemic. People have, have tuned into our online service and, and have joined us. Maybe that's even you this morning. And a lot of people did that because they saw in others the hope and the light of Jesus in a way that made them really curious and want to know more for themselves. So you and I, we can, we can have an impact. We can show others the difference that Jesus makes in the midst of living life in your family with your friends, on your block. And so right now, throughout this pandemic, churches and Christ followers all around us have turned themselves 
really inside out, peeled ourselves inside out, creatively working hard to do whatever we can to help right now. So for over two months now, we, along with many other churches, are trying to, to serve people around us. We're trying to reach out to neighbors. We're trying to love healthcare workers and, and show our appreciation. We're trying to, we're aiming to be salt and light. But another thing I would say is, let's also be people who pray. Let's pray for those who are in authority. So right now in California, as Christ followers, since we've been told we can't gather, it, it can feel like our hands are just literally tied And when it comes to doing much beyond virtual services and Zoom small groups. And, 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 and honestly, that's just not ideal. So people are feeling really helpless right now, not knowing what else to do. And so I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for Governor Newsom and the decision makers in Sacramento. Uh, pray that God would, would move their hearts to reopen our churches. As I mentioned earlier, our Department of Justice has warned our governor now to not delay uh, much longer. So thankfully, that's really the balance of power at work in our country. Thankful for, for our country in that. Let's pray that we hear some good news and maybe some details about a definitive timeline of reopening our churches. But right now, a lot of you and a lot of people right now are really, really wrestling with understanding uh, the limits of following authority. And are there even any limits on following authority? Like what, is, what does the Bible actually say? Biblically, we're actually commanded to follow until the leader asks us to violate the word of God. And so, yes, there are limits on following authority and following leaders. And so uh, there, there really is a limit. Uh, on how far the church needs to follow uh, the government. Uh, and, and so here's another action step. Would you pray for wisdom and humility for pastors and church leaders? Would you, would you pray for us? Uh, would you pray for wisdom and discernment as we aim as church leaders to really read the situation well and accurately? And then also to dig into God's word and be guided by his truth. And pray for us as we uh, handle ourselves in the public forum with our words, with our actions. Pray for our planning steps as we work through the, all the necessary steps of reopening safely in light of all that has gone on. And really even working through the fact that not, able, not everyone is as comfortable to reopen. And so pray for us as we navigate those who are wrestling through fears. And so uh, we, we still don't have a, a timeline, but just pray for us. As we, as we process all of this. And then third, pray that God would give you an open door amongst your neighbors and amongst your coworkers in new ways. And in two weeks, actually, we're going to launch a series of messages called uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. We're going to look at Jesus' uh, command to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so I'm excited to, to look at what the Scripture has to say about being good neighbors. And then next Sunday, really important Sunday for our church, we're going to be talking about how we're launching a new church to help light up a city in, in, in Southern California, in L.A. County. And so join us as we launch the Valley Lights Church launch team. They're going to be moving in the next several weeks uh, out to the Santa Clarita Valley. And so uh, this uh, upcoming Sunday, our next Sunday is actually going to be a special service launching them out. And so I hope you'll join us as you hear more about the planting of, of a brand new church. So let, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time as we've looked in your word and get tried to gain a, a clear picture of, of how to live as kingdom citizens in this culture. It's so challenging. 
And right now, God, we're being put to, te- to the test on so many different levels. And so we pray for your help and wisdom and clarity and courage. And God, we pray that our, our lives would really be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey everyone, real quick update since I uh, gave that message. Uh, some additional news you've probably uh, seen. I mentioned in the message that the U.S. Department of Justice had issued a warning to our governor, and since then, on Friday, the president himself told the governors who've been slow to open churches, ours is one of them, or who've been vague about the timeline that churches have been given. Uh, president Trump told the governors basically, open the churches immediately. And so um, that's that's really good news for churches, especially ours uh, here in California. Governor Newsom has uh, responded saying that he would lay out a plan on Monday, which is tomorrow, with some new guidelines for churches to follow as they reopen. So there's more details we're waiting on, but number one, we have a basic plan that's ready, but we've been waiting to hear the details of any mandates, any restrictions related to what needs to change in light of the coronavirus, so we should hear more on Monday. Second, I just wanted to remind you, our weekend gathering is at the Orange Terrace Community Center, which is owned by the city of Riverside. And the last we heard was that the city uh, parks and rec staff who runs uh, the building has been furloughed, and so uh, that's the last we've heard. So just wanted you to know we're going to stay in constant communication with the city uh, parks and rec staff and city leaders regarding our desire to, to meet us as soon as possible and in the safest ways possible. Third, we're also exploring other possible meeting options, outdoor services, uh, or other locations if the city's just not ready yet to open up the building. Uh, so we're exploring other options right now that Also, I read yesterday that the governor indicated that very soon, small groups of people will be able to meet again. And so, yes, that's something we've all been looking forward to. That applies to us, especially because as a church, our ability uh, opens up once we're able to to meet in small groups again, whether it be in homes or in backyards. And so keep praying for that. And then the fourth thing is, for those of you who would prefer a slower return to our physical gathering, just wanted you to know that we're going to continue to offer this online format uh, for those that just would prefer to go slower in the process. Or if you're uh, high risk with your health, uh, we want to make sure you know we're uh, considering uh, your needs right now. Uh, You know, in the beginning of all this pandemic, it really did make sense for all groups like ours to stop meeting. But the longer this has played out and the lack of hope that's been offered to churches has caused additional fear and worry and anxiety and anger even for some. And so just want you to know, uh, I've been really encouraged by you. I know this has been a hard time, and I know this is, uh, it's a constant sort of waiting and waiting and praying. So many of you keep turning to God, though. You keep turning to Him. You're trying to be honest with uh, how you're doing, and you're turning to His Word, and I've been really encouraged by you. So let's continue to do that. Let's keep trusting in God as we uh, pray this week, and we'll keep you posted on any news that we hear. God bless you all.